morning and welcome to Faith FM. You're listening right across Australia on 87.6, 87.8 or 88 on the Faith FM network. Maybe you're listening on the internet. I don't know where you are, but you are listening to us and you are listening to us live for the first time in 2021. Ooh. You are joined by Lawson. And Rick. And Tabby. You. Oh, guys. So great to have you here. Great to be here again in a new year. Yeah. That's Fantastic right. Fantastic to be here for the first time. Yes. So, uh, well, Rick, you've done some, some work with us towards the end of last year. Yeah, we uh, totally enjoyed that. And who knows what 2022 will bring, but the Lord's with us. So off we go. Amen. And then, Tammy, you're here for the first time. I am. Very excited to give this a go. Look oh. forward to chatting with you both this morning. Yeah, I guess for the well, for the first time this year, you know, people have been listening to the show, records of the show, but for the first time live, we can share what we're grateful for. So actually, Tabby, I'll start with you. What are you grateful for, for the, the, you know, the beginning of this year? Sure. Well, I'm grateful for the year, 2022. Okay. 2021 was pretty rough, so uh-huh. new year, fresh start, great Epic. things are going to happen. Oh, amen. I, I, I agree. I yeah. agree. What about yourself, Rick? Yeah, well, I'm ex- you know, we, like Tabby, we, 2021 was a bit of a woohoo. Who knows what 2022 <laughs> is going to be like? But for me, I'm just waiting to see the way God works through all this and mm. helps us understand life Amen. and process. Yep. The challenges, we'll face some challenges, but God's just big enough to do all that stuff with us. Yeah, I, I, I really resonate with you guys. Like, I felt like the new year for me, like going from 2021 to 2022, well, because it was on a Friday night, we had like care group and then church the next day. It was probably the most low key, like (laughs) uh, New Year's experience that I've ever had. But there was a real sense of like, oh, we're just continuing the work. Like, you know, for me, working at the Newcastle Uni as a Bible worker and whatnot, like the ministry just needs to continue to go forward despite the situation. I think God's saying, I'm here. We'll keep going. Mm, Amen. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. All right, Rick, what's happening in the world of positively different news? Well, I love, I've just got to find this, I love gardening. Uh-huh. I do. Uh, actually, as a child, I loved getting my hands, we lived on a farm and uh-huh. uh, our hands were in the dirt all the time. It was just, you know, mum would say, what are you chewing? Nothing. You know, kids did that. <laughs> I... And, I, and people would say, that's silly. But actually, current research is suggesting why gardening makes you happy and cures depression. Oh, so true. So do you want to hear just a minute of this? Uh, yeah, if you go for it. Okay, mental health, health experts warn about depression as a global epidemic. Uh-huh. Other researchers are discovering ways we trigger our natural production of happy chemicals, they call it, that keep depression at bay with surprising results. Mm. And I just want to read, getting your hands dirty in the garden can increase your serotonin levels. Contact with soil and a specific bacteria can trigger the release of serotonin in our brain according to current research. Now, serotonin is a happy chemical, I like that, a natural antidepressant and strengthens the immune system. Lack of it can lead to depression. So, folks... Not only do you supply your own table with the with the fruits of your labour, mm-hmm. you get happy doing it. I like that. So there's a physi- physiological change that takes place just from like touching soil. Yeah. So what we want people to do <laughs> is get get some soil and just sit in the garden, put your hand in the dirt. <laughs> 
there's, there's actually a saying amongst amongst young people, even young younger than me. Like I'm 23. Amongst the kind of teenagers, they like um, they say, you know, when someone does something really dumb online like says something really silly or has a really bad opinion you say to them oh go touch grass like go outside like <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. go outside like one. get get away from the <laughs> yeah. computer because it's clearly like ruining your brain and literally it's dude it's the perfect solution it, it is and i i think i might start a dirt club ah. oh, dude. we would join <laughs> we would join tabby would you consider yourself a gardener Look, I'd love to say that I was, but um, I've had some really bad experiences with succulents, so I probably need to play in the dirt more. (laughs) (laughs) I uh, spend most of my time killing nature, um, specific as in I hear you, as in like like specifically like dirt and grass, like riding in a riding over it on my motorbike. But um, yeah, no, I think gardening. Oh, it's such a great thing. I I want to be able to live off the the fruits. Of my life, I want to plant trees yep. and eat yep. from them. Love it. I currently live off the fruits of other people's labor, yeah. but I mean, be nice to switch over and do it for myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So I just thought that just sort of I wasn't looking out there for somewhere specific to prove a thought I had in my mind. But when you read that stuff, you go, okay, solid research suggesting it's really healthy stuff. Oh, amazing. We just not digest it. We actually get it. So to me, it's the way God's planned our lives and creation is that it's holistic. It's just mm. everything is attached to everything else. You hurt one part of it, you hurt the rest of the body. It's like the Bible. You hit, mm. hurt your finger, the rest of the body knows. Mm. And to me, this is more evidence of God saying, I have a big picture, get to understand it. Part of that is the soil is healthy. Mm. Treat it well. That's right. Like When it comes to, to health, it, it just seems so clear that, going to nature itself is the step that we need to take for our mental health, for our physical health. Like, you know, do, eating eating well, doing regular exercise, like all these kinds of things. We talked on Faith of M about, you know, many times we get our experts in, Camilla Scaff, Paul Wood, to yeah. come and to talk about um, all of these amazing health benefits that come from spending time in nature, eating natural food, like it's fantastic. And we even have a, you know, as part of our church, we have the acronym, you know, New Start. Nutrition, exercise, water, like sunlight, temperance, you know, trusting God, like all these different things. Um, because it's, it's this really holistic experience that we can have in nature that is positive and beneficial to our health. We're a, we're a part of that. I, I think some indigenous communities understand that much better than mm, others. Absolutely. Mm. I think part of the, the garden experience and the soil experience is, you're actually outside in the sunlight. Uh, yep. You're getting the vitamin D seeping mm. into your pores, Absolutely. making you happy. Yep. Oh, that's good. Oh, did, did you also know, just a really quick one, did mm. you also know, particularly for males, that mowing lawns is therapeutic? Totally. That's another. <laughs> Thank you for telling me that. I'm getting married soon and oh, I'm going to tell oh, my fiancé that Your this first is job to actually make you really happy. good for his health. <laughs> And, and what she didn't say is we have 15 acres for you to push mow with them. Uh, <laughs> oh, that is a win-win because it's like, hey, there's a chore that needs to get done. Hey, and it'll bless your life. It's a happy chore. It's a happy it's chore. Really it's really good for you. you know, it's, I'm sacrificing the lawn mowing for him. <laughs> Love that perspective. Awesome. Yes. Well, well it, it just makes sense because I feel like if you've mowed the lawn before, you know, like, dude, when you get those lines going and you're like, Oh, and you can see it at the end, and it's just clean and yeah. clear. Like you, I've never felt so accomplished. It's like the most satisfying feeling ever. Um, but yeah, just getting out there in the sun, doing exercise. Yeah. Oh, awesome stuff! Great stuff. 
All right. Hey, Tavi, did you have a, a story that you could share with us as well for Positively Different News? Sure. I do have a little nugget that I've come across. Mm. Are you guys cold shoppers, Woolworths or Aldi? All of the above. All of them. Okay. I am um, outspokenly anti-Aldi. Um, I think it's Brutal. good in some contexts, uh, but for the most part, I, you know, I, I stick to, I stick to my roots, um, of, yeah, Coles and Woolies. Okay. Stay Australian. Hopefully they're still Australian. <laughs> so this is a little story out of Coles in Port Stephens. Okay. Um, a real heart warmer. Oh, all right. Yeah, so let's get, go. Get the tissues ready. Uh-huh. A Coles shopper called Lynn took Mm -hmm. to Facebook recently and posted on the Coles official page and she what she posted about was a beautiful act of kindness by a young cashier. So there was an elderly customer who had regularly shopped at Coles buying their weekly groceries. Mm -hmm. She became a bit confused when she went to pay and her card was declined twice and she didn't quite understand what was going on and then she sort of talked about, oh, I don't understand technology, how Mm -hmm. do you help me? And the young cashier said, oh, I'll help you, ma'am. And what he did was he reached his hand into his back pocket, pulled out his own key card, paid for her groceries, oh, wow. and sent her on, on her way. Wow. That's so awesome. It is. It was very special. Mm-hmm. Um, Lynn saw this because she was right behind him, brought a tear to her mm-hmm. eye, um, and she thought, I have to tell the people how great their Coles employees are. So shout out to Coles employees helping the elderly. <laughs> Um, and he did it really for no reward. You know, she wasn't even aware that he had paid her wow. groceries. So it was a real pay it forward moment. Ooh, yeah, that's awesome. He didn't like give her the receipt and say, oh, can you just reimburse? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Here's my card details. Like, here's my bank <laughs> yeah. detail. No, oh, that's amazing. Yeah, so he actually, well, I'm not, I can't confirm this, but I do feel he should have been employee of the month, if not year. <laughs> Decade. 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 <laughs> Decade. Yeah, I feel like, oh, man, working in, like, retail, hospitality, yeah. groceries and stuff, like, um, oh, you come across that stuff all the time, like, people struggling. I worked at a servo for a little bit last year, like, a couple months, um, and, yeah, people are getting their fuel, and it happens all the time, yeah. like, struggling um, to pay or whatever it may be, and you see, like, especially because they now, uh, for elderly people, they give the cards that have, like, a a value on them that to help them pay for fuel. Um, and, oh, it's, like, heartbreaking. It's, like, really saddening when they'll miscalculate how much yeah. they've got. And um, I, I've been able to be a part of a few instances in trying to, yeah, help them and get them, you know, towards the right direction. Like, And it's so funny with old people. It's like, oh, look, my husband's just down the road in the shop. Can you please just let me go and get money from him? I yeah, promise yeah. I'll come back and pay. And I'm like, I know you're not going to steal from me. Like, like it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a guy just kind of helping them along in, in that journey. But it's, yeah, no, fa- fantastic for this guy. Cause I think as well, it's easy to become like quite jaded. And it's like, Oh, another person another claiming one. they don't yeah. have money. Like, yeah. come on. But he's just really stood up here. And it's probably like, maybe it's not even the first time he's done that. Maybe he's just like Could on be. a roll. So. Yeah, praise the Lord for yeah. him. Absolutely. Good story. And a good, I guess, moral for us when we have an opportunity to help those around us, then why not do it? Yeah. Totally. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Right now, we have a uh, an interview that was recorded last week between Lyle and Eugene Pruitt, um, getting into some amazing ministry that's happening in Bangladesh in a facility that they are endeavoring to acquire to do amazing work through. So that is coming up right now, and uh, we'll be back a little bit later. 
This is Lyle Southwell from The Breakfast Show bringing you a special edition feature-length interview with somebody who is doing evangelism in the 1040 window. That's the part of the world where it is the toughest and the hardest to reach people with the gospel message. Eugene Pruitt, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Lyle. Greetings to you from Bangladesh. Last time we worked together was down in the deep south of the United States. And, yeah, we picked on some fairly hard places to do evangelism down there, but I'm sort of thinking Bangladesh might be a little bit more challenging again. Lyle, you know, the people of this area are easier to reach than many places I've been, just more dangerous. Right. Okay, that's interesting. Okay, so what I want to do is I want to spend a bit of time delving into that and unpacking exactly what you said just there. But before we do, Eugene, I, w- I want to start in this story by by just it, maybe you can take us back a little bit. You've been working in the 1040 window. Tell us what is the 1040 window? How long have you been working there? All right, Lyle. So listen, uh, I was working as a teacher in the United States for about 25 years training missionaries there, and the thought occurred to me while I was there that if you want to get to know God better in the U.S., you have options. But in many parts of the world, options are limited or non-existent, and that's when I decided, my wife and I decided, that we were going to do what we could to promote Bible truth outside of America. And uh, we went on a tour, helping start little local schools in several countries, India, Indonesia, and others. But eventually I concluded that the best thing I could do with my own human resources, I mean myself, would be to plant myself in that part of the world where Christians are uncommon. When you said the 1040 window, you're referring to a part of the globe that's bound by longitude and latitude numbers related to the numbers 10 and 40, that basically takes in Asia. It takes in the part of Asia and North Africa that is mostly Hindu, Buddhist, Islamic, Sikh, animist. So there's very a very limited number of Christians in that portion or that rectangle of the globe. A rectangle of the globe, that sounds like an oxymoron, but I think you can sort of picture what I'm saying. So, For sure. Uh, I had an invitation to come to Malaysia to a health center there, and we moved there in 2015. Malaysia is 60% Muslim and about 25% Buddhist and another 10 or 12% Hindu. And uh, at least in West Malaysia where we were, Christians are about 1%. And I thought, that's great. That's where I want to go. And so we moved there, and we started two schools there, and those schools have had some success. If you'll give me a chance, I'll even tell you some stories about that uh, this morning. We had some success in leading people into the Christian religion. Two years ago, I was leaving Malaysia on a 10-day visa run. I had a speaking appointment in South Africa. And while I was gone, the world went crazy. And while I don't know where you or your listeners stand regarding COVID, I'm all for people having their own thoughts, their own opinions about it. But I'll tell you what it did. It locked us out of Malaysia. We couldn't get home. And so then we got locked into South Africa, and we couldn't even leave South Africa for three months. And to make the story short enough for our purposes, eventually I concluded that if I wait for COVID to calm down. I might be waiting a very long time. And my wife and I decided instead of waiting, let's go somewhere where we can go 
And that's who ended up here in Bangladesh. And you just let me know when I can tell you some stories because I have some stories to tell. <laughs> I'll bet you've got some stories to tell. That sounds like a remarkable adventure. And I, I sort of even don't even know where to start in asking questions. But can I just go back to the, stu- the two schools that you were working with in Malaysia? What kind of schools are they? Are they primary schools, high schools, K-12, to um, Bible worker schools? What kind of schools were you operating there in Malaysia? So the first one is a missionary training school, and maybe some wouldn't even call it a school. If Jesus had a school, then it's a school. It's a group of about 20 young men and women, college age, who their whole goal is to learn how to reach the people in their country, people who don't know Jesus at all or don't know him as the Savior. That is the first school. The second school is very different. It's a primary school. Almost every student coming to that school is from a non-Christian background. In this case, they're Muslims attending the school. And the teachers in that school are there to train the children and their families about the gospel. And nearly every student in that school that's come for four years now has begun to pray in the name of Jesus, begun to show the signs and the the outside evidences of being a Christian. One of them said a few months ago to the headmaster there, she said, I want to be a missionary when I grow up. And uh, so I'm just pleased and tickled with what's going on there. And maybe the thing that encourages me the most, Lyle, is that when I left those schools, I planned to be back in 10 days. But I haven't been back. I haven't been back in two years. I mean, almost two years. And my students are running the schools effectually even now. It looks to me like God has qualified them with their skills and wisdom and ability. I'm not there, and yet the schools are doing a great work. That's absolutely fantastic news. Now, when we talk about the 1040 window, and I just want to get your reaction to this, often we talk about it as being the hardest part of the world to evangelize, an area in the world where it's near impossible to evangelize and to reach people with the message of the gospel. And so often we're encouraged to to be fishers of men. So go where the fish are biting. They're not biting in the 1040 window. So go somewhere else and use your resources, use your energy in places where it's going to actually have an impact. What's your reaction to that? Is the 1040 window a place that can be reached or is it just too hard and too exhausting on resources to be able to reach people within that area? Oh, Lyle, I can go on for an hour on this topic, but I'll try to be brief. First of all, the fish are biting here. I mean, the fish are biting everywhere I've been. No, it's not a difficult place to reach people, but, and this is a big but, it takes courage. If you are a pansy that wants the work cut out to your liking and you do what you want to do most of the day and for a few hours a day you do a script, well, then you better work in a Christian nation. But if you're willing to take some risk and to be courageous, yeah, the people are ready to be reached here. I mean, in the 1040 window generally. Now, there are some parts of the 1040 window where you have to be, you must be somewhat undercover. If you're in Iran or Iraq or working in Yemen or in some parts of Sudan, well then, you know, may God give you wisdom to be as wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. But right here in Bangladesh, I can be fairly open in talking about the gospel with people 
Now, if they make a big change, they're in danger and I'm in danger. And uh, that's a risk we have to take. But as far as the openness of people, it's great here. Can you share with me some stories? Because, I mean, I understand that you're in Bangladesh now, but you started this work in Malaysia. Can you share it with us with me some stories that illustrate what you're talking about in that the fish are biting in the 1040 window? Okay, sure. So you should know that when you're fishing, sometimes the fish gets away. And I remember there in Malaysia finding a guy named Muhammad that looked like a good potential catch for Jesus. We made friends. He ate my wife's vegetarian cooking and he wanted to treat us to his fried chicken, and he even came camping with us. We were making really good progress, I thought. He learned the prophecies of Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 so that he could give studies himself to friends. But there came a point when Muhammad realized the cost of leaving his traditional religion. And I remember the day that we had the talk about that. And from that day forward, there was a distinct coldness, a distinct cooling off of our warmth, our friendship, where he was, he'd be happy to talk about sports or about weather or about politics, but religion was no longer a welcome topic. And you know, Lyle, when you start reaching out to friends, you're going to have some rejection. Jesus was a man of sorrows and according to grief, he was rejected of men. I'm telling you, you have to expect some of that. But I found one of Muhammad's friends, a man named Musab, and I began to share with Musab. Musab wanted to meet me, and I've been counseled and warned about this when I'm in these countries, that if you meet someone, it's such a risk. They might be out to just get you, but, you know, if, we don't, if we're not willing to meet people, we're not going to reach them. And so I went to meet him, and he brought a friend with him named Abdullah. And I'll just tell you, Musab and Abdullah were on their way to atheism. These men are from Yemen. They had been in Yemen when the Houthis took over, and they had heard the primary, the most famous preaching leaders of religion in their country switched their tune, their Sunni Shia tune. They switched it overnight. And that base hypocrisy just struck these men, and they began to wonder if God is even real. So when I shared with Musab the prophecies of Daniel 2 and Daniel 7, he began to think that maybe God is real. He shared it with Abdullah. We, we met together. I eventually gave them each a Bible. Today, they both identify as Christians. But more than that, Lyle, <laughs> Musab began to share with some other people. He graduated. He was studying there in Malaysia. He got his uh, degree. He graduated. He had to go back to Yemen which was dangerous. I lost track of him for a whole month in Yemen because he wiped his phone to avoid our conversations being found because that would lead to certain death there for him. But eventually he got my number again and contacted me. He reached out to a lady there in that country, Sahar, and she became a Christian. He ended up uh, moving to Egypt because there was starvation in Yemen. He couldn't find a job there, and he didn't want to just die of hunger. And Mustafa continued to reach out to people. And uh, one day, he wrote me about a friend named Zayed. Uh, Zayed was back in Malaysia, going to the same university where Mustafa had studied. And Zayed apparently found 
Christianity online with no one showing him anything. Now, it wasn't any form of Christianity that you and I would recognize, Lyle. It was uh, close related to orthodoxy. But anyway, what he found was better to him than his own religion, and he frankly became a Christian without any Christian mentoring and began to share Christ there in the university, and he lost his scholarship over it. That is, he was punished with the loss of his scholarship and had to drop out of graduate school. So Musab heard about him through the Yemen grapevine, and I wrote to Zayed, and we became friends, and he was excited about the process of Daniel. He wished me happy Sabbath just a short time ago. He's reaching out to people today. He has two more converts there in the process of being made in Malaysia at his university. And that story hasn't ended. It's not going to end, Lyle. Even if I die today, that story will just keep going until the end of the world. Yeah, that's an incredible story. We're going to take a break right now. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. So guys, get in, call or text, and we will be able to get those to you, or you can just get those points on the board and continue to sweep your way through the quiz. But right now, heading back to Eugene Pruitt and Lyle Southwell with the interview for today. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Faith FM 87.6, 87.8, or 88 right across Australia. We've got Eugene Pruitt joining us for a feature interview today, ministering in the 1040 window. Eugene, you started a couple of schools in Malaysia, training young people how to reach out, how to do witnessing, how to do evangelism. One of the things that you pointed out was that the fish are biting, that there is fantastic opportunity for evangelism within these countries, but it requires risk. So the thing I'm sort of getting from that is that people are the same wherever we go. The power of the gospel is the same wherever you take it. It's just that some countries are more dangerous than others. A place like Malaysia, I mean, we're here in Australia. Australia is full of Malaysians. They're wonderful people. Is that a particularly dangerous place to share Christianity? You mentioned that it was, you know, a very small percentage of Malaysians are actually Christian. Hey, Lyle, thank you for having me back. And uh, yeah, my my first convert there was a man named Roji. And Roji had been given a Bible when he was a teenager. But when he became a man and he married and had two children, he decided to move to Malaysia where he could earn more money. Malaysia is a little richer than Indonesia, which is its neighbor. So he moved to Malaysia, and he didn't bring a Bible with him. He was afraid of what would happen at the border. But he looked on YouTube, and he found a friend of mine. And so I flew out to meet Roji. And Roji, we helped him quit smoking, and he gave him a new Bible there, and he took studies. He was making good progress. But when he told his wife that he was becoming a Christian, she divorced him that week. And about eight months later, Lyle, Roji disappeared off the face of the earth. I'm quite certain he was killed by his own family. And um, uh, he, there was money I'd raised to help him, and he hadn't even claimed that money. It hadn't, he knew I had it, and he never even asked for it. And uh, he, all my ways communicating with him, I had four different channels. They all closed off in the very same few hours. And so I'm pretty sure that Rosie was killed. There is some danger. And I would say to your, your listeners, would you please reach out to those Malaysians that are in Australia? Because you're right. If they change while they're with you, the risk to them is much smaller. The cost is much less. But if they do it in their own country, 
the risk is high. Yeah. How do you feel about training young people then within these countries to witness for Jesus? I mean, as a church, you know, and, and church organizations, we talk about having a duty of care to our young people. And these are the kind of stories that, you know, young people here in Australia would never hear of because we are incredibly risk averse and uh, we, you know, we would barely send our young people out on the streets to knock on doors without a whole bunch of safety protocols in place. And yet you're working in a country where people can actually literally lose their lives. And it's really just a country that's on our doorstep here in Australia. How do you feel about training young people when they're going to go out and face this kind of risk? What I feel, Lyle, is I love them. I love those young people. Like I might cry on you, but I'm thinking right now about a young man, Joshua. He spent two weeks in jail there in Malaysia, and he's a refugee. A refugee spending jail time, another one of his friends is beaten up by the police there in Malaysia. A refugee spending time in jail is at risk of being deported to a place where he is in serious danger. You know, as soon as Joshua got out of jail, he went back to work. And today he's the outreach director at one of my schools there. So what I feel about it, Lyle, is that if we try to protect our children from taking risks for the gospel, we're protecting them from being Christians. And I don't really respect the kind of Christianity that aspires to be treated better than Jesus. I'm thinking of what he said in Matthew 10. He said, the servant is not above his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Yeah, for those who listen to our show here on Faith FM regularly, you know that one of the things that I really love is history. And, of course, if you study you know, the history of the church in the wilderness, they faced a lot of danger on regular occasions. You've got churches like the Waldenses where they do two years missionary service before they came back home and settled down, and they would travel all over Europe sharing the gospel. Amongst Christians of other faiths, I might add, but they would go out knowing that they had a 50-50 survival rate and their parents would send them out knowing that they had a 50% chance of surviving two years of missionary service. Is the 1040 window in places like Bangladesh and Malaysia, is it as dangerous as what the Waldenses faced? Not yet, Lyle. No, it's not. Uh, I think when the church wakes up, it probably will be. Uh, Satan has a, a pretty predictable MO. I mean that he doesn't like to raise serious persecution on a sleeping church. And the Christians generally in the 1040 window have made peace with the government by agreeing not to reach the majority population. So as long as the church is paralyzed, know the danger isn't high. Uh, it, now, if you went to, I think I mentioned earlier about uh, Iran and Iraq and uh some other countries, there are some places where it would thoroughly be as dangerous as it was for the Waldensians, and maybe even worse than 50-50, but not here, not now. Mm. So that then gives us an opportunity. I guess it's a, a bit of a, a two-sided opportunity. We have an opportunity to work now and to, you know, definitely not safe, but definitely an opportunity to work, but maybe one that once we start working may change somewhat. You mentioned there, and it, and it just sounds wild to us here in Australia that – you know, you've got people who are just going out and just sharing the gospel and going to jail and this kind of thing. So you've actually got students who have spent time in jail. How does that affect the other students and how does that affect young people becoming a part of the program and, and, and signing up and saying, hey, I want to learn how to share Jesus with people? 
Lyle, the first time that we went to jail, my, almost my entire student body went to jail in 2016. It was the best thing that happened to my work in Malaysia. So what, it, what it did, you see, before that, I had them selling Christian books door to door. And I'll tell you, it's easier to sell Christian books to Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus than it is to Christians. Just easier. But we, we did end up getting in trouble. They sold a book called The Great Controversy to a Lady, and a, a mob was raised up because of it, and my students were put in jail. And after they got out, recruiting students became much harder. I mean, parents refused to let their children come to our training program. And ever since that time, we get the highest quality of students. I'm just so glad for that experience uh, because we were doing selling books. And they were earning more money than a typical white-collar job selling books there in Malaysia. So when the money was good, the the interest was high. When we went to jail, the interest dropped down. And the money never stopped being good, but now it's just faithful people doing the work. So you had a purifying process as a result of persecution. I, I mean, that's a story that has been told for the last 2,000 years of the history of Christianity, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. And it wasn't too long after that. We had a lady who joined our faith from the Malay population there. I won't mention her name here because you might have Malay listeners. And uh, But it was discovered by the police. Police let me know that they were going to come interview me, a, a three-hour drive for some of them, from the headquarters of the police in the capital. And some of my friends told me, you know, they're coming tomorrow. This is a good day to drive to the airport and catch a plane and leave the country. There's no reason to stick around because some prominent persons there in that country that were reaching out to the white people have been disappeared. I mean that in 2017, three of them disappeared. No one has seen them since. So I was counseled to, you know, get on a horse and get moving. But I thought, if I run to the airport and buy a ticket and leave, what's going to happen is my running is going to be more significant to my students than anything that I've had to say. Mm. What happened? What happened is six of them came into my house, and uh, we gave them some refreshments and sat down in our couches. Three of them didn't really know English, and they went to sleep during the few hours that we were talking. But the three that knew English, I gave them each a ministry of healing, gave the leader a great controversy, told them plainly about what we were doing. I mean, I didn't lie, and uh, they didn't arrest me. What they explained is that there are two systems of police in Malaysia. There's a secular police and there are the the Sharia police. And the religious police aren't the ones that interviewed me. It was secular police. They had one there said she'd never heard about our type of Christianity that didn't drink and didn't smoke and didn't worship idols. And she was so curious about it. And that's why I gave her the great controversy. And you know, even today, she writes me and asks me to pray for her country. Oh, wow. So here you are under threat of actual death being taken out and murdered in cold blood. You choose to stay, the police come, and you spend several hours just witnessing to the police who come. They might not look at it quite that way. It was answering their questions, but yeah, they definitely heard the gospel. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.